The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is James Cordier. Uh, He is an expert in options put selling. His book is called The Complete Guide to Option Selling. He is also the founder and head portfolio manager at optionsellers.com. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Let's just start with a bit of your background. You've done this book. You run this website. But kind of give us a little bit of your background leading into this. Certainly. Um, I've been trading uh, commodities as a future representative for the last uh, 28 years. Um, after several years of trading commodities, like most people do in the futures market, um, I discovered options. Um, I discovered them on the buy side, first of all. And I realized that even when we were right the market, uh, our investments still didn't work. And then someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, James, options uh, expire worthless 82% of the time. So I thought I'd do a little investigating into the writing side of options, and uh, the rest is history. So do you uh, sell both calls and puts, or mostly just puts? Well, it, it depends upon which direction you think the market's going to go, of course. Um, we think that a lot of the commodities have been uh, beat down quite a bit recently, uh, because the end of quantitative easing and some slowing in China and in Europe. So we are looking at uh, going long some markets by selling puts. Uh, however, next year when we probably have uh, slightly higher prices in commodities, we'll be looking at both sides at that point. But you're recommending that people sell puts not only on commodities, but also individual stocks and stock indices. Is that correct? Well, um, it, it's certainly a way to get long uh, the market. Um, certainly uh, a lot of commodities uh, that investors follow like gold and silver and oil they're extremely low right now um if you like uh you know uh getting into the market uh buying low and selling high uh, that's usually a good idea however uh, a lot of investors think that commodities right now are a falling knife or they're cheap for a reason and what we do is we take a, a position in the market that might be 30 40% below uh, the current value sell puts at that level, and it gives us a lot of room uh, for the market to come around. So maybe we should just go back to the basics of selling puts for people who may not be familiar with exactly how that works. So why don't we kind of go through the basic, since you're doing mostly on the put side, of what a put option is, and when one sells the put, what you receive and what risk you're taking on. Okay. Uh, most of your um, listeners um, that are interested in following along, uh, they're familiar with selling uh, options on stocks. It, it first started when uh, a broker said to his client, um, you know, you're long this stock, it's sitting here at $35. We could sell the $40 calls and start taking in um, some premium and start making money on this dull stock. And, and sure enough, um, uh, that holder was selling $40 calls. They'd expire worthless. He sold some more $40 calls. They expire worthless. And that was generating income for his uh, portfolio. Uh, the other way to use uh, options, selling them on stocks, is to sell puts below the market. 
um, that same stock that might be at 35. Uh, you're not sure that that's such a good bet, but you could sell the $30 puts. Um, let's say you sold those for $2. If the market were to fall, um, those $30 puts um, do become exercised. Your break-even level is then 28. You get the stock put to you at $30, the strike price. You, uh, you add to that the $2 that you took uh, in as premium, you're net long at 28 that's That sounds just a little bit complicated, but uh, I know your listeners can follow along. That, that's quite simple math, actually. We do the same thing in commodities. Uh, crude oil recently has fallen off dramatically like it normally does in the fall of the year. Crude oil is trading around $75 a barrel. And I bet if uh, your listeners um, were to look at a seasonal chart, sure enough, crude oil prices fall in winter when the usage and the driving is the least. And come June and July, what is the price of gasoline down? It's gone back up. So it's a seasonal trade. Uh, we would sell puts in crude oil, currently around the $55 strike price. And as long as crude oil doesn't fall below 55 between now and June, guess what? You keep the premium that you sold it for, and you kind of cheer on the gas prices in spring instead of cursing at them. <laughs> so just to be clear, if somebody is selling a put... They are selling the right to somebody who's buying that put to, uh, for, for them to sell the stock at a particular price by a particular time. Yes, you're, you're giving the buyer of that put the right to be short at 55, and you are taking on the responsibility of being long at 55. So it's giving you $20 of leeway um, before the market would actually get put to you. So you don't own the stock. You're selling... Uh, put these are called naked puts, basically, right? Because you don't own the stock to deliver. Yes, Jordan. The example that I just gave you is a naked put. That's correct. Right. So your risk as a seller of puts is if the stock or the commodity, whatever you're writing a put against, falls by a particular period of uh, a, a particular amount by a particular period of time, you're going to have to come up with the money to deliver the stock to them, right? Yes. You you are then long at fifty five. And the investor that bought that option is short at fifty-five. So you so, buy, you buy the. Uh, I mean, you sell. He, he has the right to sell, and you have to buy that stock or commodity. So you have to have the money set aside to be able to do that in advance. Yes, you do. So you're long at fifty-five, um, and that's how it works. You're, you're basically getting um, it put to you, and it's at fifty-five. And if you loved it at seventy-five, hopefully you like it even more at fifty-five. But yes, that is how it works. So as far as the uh, options exchanges and so on, you have to have the money put aside in advance uh, to uh, sell the stock at that particular point. I mean, you're, you're buying the stock from them, correct? You're correct. And it's called margin. And I'm sure most of your uh, listeners are familiar with that. And it's a certain amount of money that is uh, in the account earmarked to sell that option. If oil is falling towards 55, uh, the margin to hold that position would probably increase. But um, the, the whole idea is that these options that we're talking about in commodities, they expire worthless over 80% of the time. That doesn't mean you, have to, you can't uh, have them put to you, and they, they can go in the money. But uh, it certainly uh, puts the uh, numbers in your favor. And if your idea of being long oil or being long gold or whatever the commodity may be, it just increases your chances uh, dramatically. So just to be clear, if you're selling a put and 80% of the time the puts expire worthless, you get to keep 
uh, what's called the premium, which is the amount paid for you uh, to sell that put in effect, no matter what happens. And if 80% of the time the put expires worthless, you just get to keep the premium and then can, can do it again all next month. Exactly. That, that is uh, your gain, is the option that you're uh, selling it for. And the uh, buyer of that option, uh, he has an 18% chance of it going in the money. Um, but that's the chances he's taking. And this is the uh, risk-reward ratio. Uh, it's favored towards the seller. Uh, but uh, certainly you have to watch your, watch your positions. So how are the premiums priced? Uh, is it based on bullish and bearish sentiment in the market at a particular time? Because those pr- uh, premiums are changing all the time, right? They're, they're constantly changing. So when the markets are quite volatile, uh, the premiums uh, become more expensive. Uh, when the market quiets down, they tighten up somewhat. Um, usually, uh, you want to be involved uh, selling options when there is great volatility. Um, it, it simply gives you a, a le- much larger leeway between where the futures price is, uh, that on oil would be around $75, and the strike price. So in a quiet market, you're not selling a 55 put. You might be selling one much closer. So volatility, which I know a lot of uh, investors uh, shy away from, uh, volatility is the lifeblood of uh, option selling. And uh, actually, we do very well in this environment. So when it's volatile, you're going to get a higher price for your, the, the premium is going to be a higher price than when there's low volatility. Is that what you're saying? Exactly right. This is a way to diversify a portfolio. When people are running scared, uh, we're jumping in the pool. <laughs> and so um, the reason you are getting a higher price for your premium is the, um, the buyer of that put that you're selling thinks there's a higher chance of it winning out. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Just trying to bring this kind of down for people so can, because it's a whole other world for a lot of people here. You know. now, now, you have at the beginning of your book what you call uh, the magic uh, secret, the option seller's magic secret. What, what is the option seller's secret? Well, we, we touched on it a little while ago. Um, so often uh, when the market's rallying, uh, that's when people are buying in. When the market is falling, that's when people are getting fearful and they're getting out. Uh, the magic secret can be uh, in reference to this gives you the ability to know when to get in and when to get out. Um, timing is not crucial in what we're doing. Uh, however, it does give you quite an advantage when, when volatility is increasing dramatically. Uh, that's normally uh, when the stock market might be near its low. I think a lot of your listeners were watching uh, uh, the volatility index when the stock market was falling with the bola scares uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, anyone watching uh, the business channels was hearing all about the VIX, and the VIX was going through the roof. And when it does that, uh, quite often it signals a low in the market. And sure enough, when uh, the VIX hit, uh, I think it tripled in value from 10 up to maybe 30, uh, everyone is just getting you know, fearful as can be. That was the exact time to buy in. And it can work the same way in commodities as well. And you learn that by uh, following the options. It takes a certain emotional strength to, to go in, as you say, as everybody's fleeing the other direction, and to go in and buy. How do you handle the emotional uh, toll for something like that when everybody else is running? and you're, It's almost like the 9-11 towers are going down and you're the only one rushing into the building. Well, um, there's a very famous investor uh, from Nebraska. He says you buy when there's blood in the streets. And by selling options, it gives you a little bit easier chance to do that 
because when you think the market's near a low, and let's say, for example, uh, a client or an investor is selling puts, he's taking the price, uh, whether it be crude oil or the stock IBM, it's at a beaten down price. The volatility on the puts is increasing dramatically, increasing the price of the puts, and now you're selling puts um, 30% below where the market is, even after its fall. So you're really trying to give yourself a, a big advantage by using volatility uh, in your favor. And when the market is uh, falling, uh, for example, and people are panicking, that's when they're rushing and buying the puts, and that's when we want to sell them. So you, that's why the price is going up, because as people want protection uh, against further falls, but you're saying usually it's overdone, and uh, the, the bad news is priced in quite quickly, and in order for your puts to be exercised, you have to have even another bout of bad news. Exactly. If It's simply putting the odds in your favor. Um, oil's on sale at 75, but boy, we really like it at 55, and that's our break-even. That doesn't sound sexy. But um, if, this is, if these are the singles you're hitting during the year, uh, at the end of 12 months, uh, they seem to add up. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is James Cordier. He's the founder and portfolio manager at OptionsSellers.com. He's just come out with a new book called The, uh, the Complete Guide to Option Selling, How Selling Options Can Lead to Stellar Returns in Bull and Bear Markets. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is James Cordier. He's the founder and head portfolio manager at OptionsSellers.com. 
He also is the author of a book called The Complete Guide to Option Selling. Um, and you can find out more about him at his website, optionsellers.com. Welcome back to the show, James. Thank you, Jordan. So two of the areas you cover particularly are oil and gold. I just want to talk about those briefly. Let's talk about oil. Why has oil been falling so sharply here, and, and what do you think is going to be happening going forward? Well, a couple things. Um, uh, the European Union, of course, uh, their economies have been slowing quite a bit recently. China has slown somewhat. Um, here in the United States, we have automobiles that um, used to get 20 miles to a gallon. Now they get 40, and certainly that has changed uh, the dynamics uh, for energy prices, quite often uh, the months of October, the months of November, um, driving season is pretty much over in the United States, and at the same time it's not heating season yet. And energy prices, uh, if you were to look at a 12-month uh, seasonal average, uh, oil prices are normally at their lowest level in November and December, and they normally go up until driving season. Uh, come May, June, and July, uh, gasoline prices are normally 50 cents higher than they are in winter, and that seems to be setting up extremely well again this year. So the way you would play that is by selling put options. If it falls further, it's got a long way to go, but the chances are it's going to rebound, in which case your options would expire worth as you get to keep your premium. Exactly right. Uh, pretend you're, you're a quarterback and the markets are at a very low level. You want to throw the ball to where you think there's going to be the most demand. So as November and December uh, period that we're into right now, we would expect uh, gas and oil prices to be up in June. So what we would do is we would sell a June crude oil $55 put and bet that uh, the market doesn't fall another 30% as we go into high demand season. Uh, just a lot of common sense trading is what we try and do. I know this is a complicated uh, uh, venue for some, but uh, the trading uh, is we, we try and just use fundamental uh, knowledge. So that's oil. Now the other area you cover is precious metals. Uh, gold has also had a terrific fall for most of this year. What are the fundamental reasons why that's happening, and do you think that's going to continue? Well, um, everyone's familiar with the, the lunar shot that gold did uh, four or five years ago when they announced quantitative easing, whatever that is. I know when I heard that for the first time, I had to uh, do some research. Uh, gold went from $1,000 all the way up to $1,900 an ounce because quantitative easing was going to cause hyperinflation and the price of everything was going to double your home and just about everything else that you shop for. It turns out that it didn't work that way. And very little growth in the United States, very little growth in China and in Europe. And without any type of wage inflation, uh, you really don't have price inflation. So all the bulls that ran into gold over the last three or four years, uh, it certainly seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, but it really didn't uh, help the economy. Um, it helped the stocks really well, but it didn't do much for uh, Main Street. Now that the quantitative easing is wrapping up uh, this month, um, all the uh, bulls that bought gold for the reason of quantitative easing are now getting out. We think that uh, 0% interest rates, we think that the extremely low uh, energy prices right now that we have are going to help uh, immensely uh, economies like China and India and the United States. And we do see a little bit of inflation coming next year. And as everyone is bailing out of gold at around $1,150, well off this $1,900 level, we think that gold could probably do uh, fairly well next year. It could certainly get back above 1200 maybe as high as $1,300 an ounce uh, from the 1150 that it's trading at now. 
So you're being a contrarian, and then by selling puts, uh, if if gold stays where it is or goes up a little bit, those puts will always always expire worthless. Is what you're saying? Well, the the likelihood for them to do that now, I I, I like uh, quite a bit. Um, gold right now is at eleven fifty. Uh, an investor um, who's been watching gold fall down and maybe trying to figure out well when's time to get back in or when it would be time to add to my holdings. Um, buying at eleven fifty might be a little risky. Um, it certainly has been in free fall recently. Um, what I like doing is selling the $900 puts or the $950 puts. Um, that gives you, once again, uh, a lot of leeway for the market to bottom and eventually rally. Um, you only get to keep uh, the premium that you sold the option for, uh, of course. But um, if you if you like gold at uh, this level, uh, selling puts at 900 or 950 uh, has to look really good. Okay, now you have at the end of your book uh, some mistakes, some common mistakes that people who are getting into option selling make. So let's briefly go over some of those mistakes. What is your mistake number one? Mistake number one is not being diversified. Um, so often um, an investor that's get, first getting into the stock market, he gets an idea from a friend or family member, and he buys a 1,000 shares of uh, XYZ. Uh, unfortunately, XYZ was the one market that didn't rally. It was the one... Uh, a stock, for example, that uh, out of a group that didn't go up. What we do in commodities when we uh, build a portfolio, we don't simply just want to be in one market. We we want to be diversified. We want to be in energies. We want to be in precious metals. We want to be in foods. Um, these are uh, about 15 commodities that I've spent the last 30 years following, and it gives us a, a pretty good idea of what their fair value is. Um, so we want to be diversified. Uh, a client um, with a stock portfolio shouldn't be in one stock, and a portfolio in short options and commodities uh, should also be diversified as well. Don't bet on one thing. Um, bet smaller on uh, eight or nine things and, and watch the market. Then you say you should also not trade in an undercapitalized account. What is the typical amount of capital people should have to get into the put-selling game? What I would do, whatever the amount uh, that the investor has, you would mar- you would margin a certain level. If if an investor had a one hundred thousand dollar account, he should margin his account no more than fifty percent. Have fifty percent working for him. Um, I've done um, uh, talks all around the country when we were doing those. We don't do them anymore. Um, now people come to us, which is a nice feeling to have. But I would. Uh, you know, be speaking to a group of investors, and they've read our book. And I, I recall one investor coming up to me saying, "You know, James, you talk about margining fifty percent. Uh, I margin my account ninety percent, and I've been doing extremely well." Well, um, I recall what he was selling options in, and that was the S and P, and he's ninety percent margined. And uh, a friend of a friend told me that uh, that didn't end so well. Always uh, have plenty of capital. Keep your powder dry, 50% margin, I think, uh, is the maximum, and then be diversified uh, along that 50%. One of the other mistakes you talk about is not having a trading plan or an exit strategy before you get in. So know when you're going to get out before you get in. Is that correct? Certainly. Um, these ideas that we just talked about uh, with going long gold or going long oil, when you sell uh, a put on gold, for example, the one that we just described, say the 900 Let's say you take in $1,000 for selling that option. 
have a predetermined risk how much you're willing to uh, have on the table if the market starts to fall. Um, options in commodities, just like in stocks, uh, they trade daily. Uh, they increase somewhat or decrease somewhat on any given day and have a predetermined risk of how much you're willing to uh, put up uh, to hold that position. Uh, let's say if it doubles in value, um, that's one exit strategy that uh, has worked extremely well for us. Of course, we uh, like to overthink things a little bit and think that we're smarter and we want to do something more than that, but that's a perfect way to manage a portfolio is you know, if an option doubles, uh, that'd be an exit strategy, and then just look on to do something else. So if you have a position that's starting to go against you, say you've sold a put, and it's mm-hmm. the, the uh, underlying is, is dropping sharply, uh, is there a certain point you should buy it back and not actually have it put to you? Well, that's the predetermined risk that we were talking about. Um, yeah. If you, That's exactly what you should do. You should have an idea of how much you're willing to risk on any trade, whether it be selling options or if someone uh, is long a stock, uh, you, don't, you don't ride it against you. You have a predetermined idea of what it's worth. Um, if 82% of these expire worthless, um, what you need to do is manage the couple uh, out of 10 that go against you, and you'll know which ones are working. Uh, those are the 8 out of 10 that seem to be going for you, and uh, it's pretty easy to determine. It's, it, it, you, you can tell. Now, you also say people should not form an emotional attachment or aversion to a particular market. What happens when people fall in love or fall in hate with a particular market? Well, um, you know, there, there's a particular stock that someone might have been watching uh, for the last several years, and they just believe it in so well, and they might buy a stock at $50, and it's down to 40 and it's down to 30 But it's a great company. They do great things. Uh, you know, the public likes it. But the price might be already factored in. So, you know, falling in love with something certainly can go against you. And uh, it's the whole idea about investing, and it is tough. Investing is tough because emotions take over. When the market falls, you get hopeful that it's, you know, going to turn around. And when it's going for you, um, you know, you, you get greedy. And people don't want to admit to being greedy, but it happens. Uh, we're all human. What a lot of investors like about selling options is taking profit uh, no longer is part of the uh, decision-making. Uh, when an option expires worthless, you've taken profit, and the market's been doing that for you slowly. Uh, it really takes out some of the emotions that a lot of investors have a tough time with. If you buy a stock at 30 and it goes to 35, you, are, you start going back to your ideas of reading books. Well, you know, you never go broke taking a profit. Uh, I'm supposed to let my profits run. You know, which one is this? <laughs> and that's, that's it, it sounds funny, but it's very true. Selling options, uh, you don't have the determination as to when to take a profit. The market does it for you. You also talk about the revenge trade. What is the revenge trade and how should you avoid it? Well, the revenge trade can be um, you had a particular position in one market and it stopped you out and then you want to get back in and it stops you out and then you want to get back in. If you lose money uh, trading McDonald's, you don't have to get your money back getting back into McDonald's. You you can buy Wendy's or Burger King and uh, the money's all green. If something uh, isn't working out the way you think it is, uh, let it go. And that's sometimes difficult to do. I know I've experienced the same thing. If I lost money trading soybeans, uh, I think I need to spend the rest of my days trying to figure out how to get the money back in soybeans. It's not soybean money. It's all green money. 
and uh, investors sometimes make that mistake. I know I used to do the same. So, so much of this is about psychology, yes. In about a minute or so we have left, just tell people briefly who this is appropriate for to, to learn about option selling and get into the whole game we've been talking about here. It's interesting. We touched on uh, some real broad points about this. Our book, uh, The Complete Guide to Option Selling, really describes it well, You know what we've been talking about here the last uh, 30 minutes. Um, people who think outside the box, people who are wanting to diversify their portfolio, people who think that the stock market's not going to go up forever, uh, they might be good candidates for learning this uh, form of trading. Um, certainly, if the stock market uh, does top out someday, it does go into a bear market. Um, this is almost completely unrelated to what the stock market might do, and it gives a, an investor the ability to bet in uh, bull or bear markets, and that's the diversification that uh, a lot of investors are going to be clamoring for uh, sometime in the near future. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest has been James Cordier. He's the founder and head portfolio manager at OptionsSellers.com. His new book is called The Complete Guide to Option Selling, How Selling Options Can Lead to Stellar Returns in Bull and Bear Markets. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, James. And we'll be back after the break with our next guest in the next half hour. Stay. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Kathy Fetke. She's the CEO and founder of the Real Wealth Network 
and the author of a new book called Retire Rich with Rentals. Welcome back to the show, Kathy. Hey, thank you. For people who didn't hear us last time, just give a little bit background of, of you and uh, what happens and what people can find out about at the Real Wealth Network. Sure. Well, Real Wealth Network, um, I founded because I didn't really think there was anything out there to help people who want to invest in real estate passively. You know, you've got all these flip-this-house type shows, but, you know, that all takes a lot of work and time and expertise to do it right. And, you know, you've got people working full-time that just don't, they can't do that. So um, I created Real Wealth Network to give investors the education they need to be able to build a, a portfolio of investment property that will pay them year after year after year through retirement and, um, and show people how to build a retirement through income property. So when they go to realwealthnetwork.com, what are some of the resources they can find there? Oh, gosh, everything. Uh, one of the biggest things we do is feature uh, markets in the U.S. where it's a really good time to buy. Um, uh, too often people get that mixed up. They don't know when to buy and they don't know when to sell. Um, so, you know, we want to show people where those buyers' markets are. And, and what we look for is job growth, first and foremost, and that leads to population growth. But uh, in an area where the home prices haven't caught up with that, um, you know, with that growth. So there's still a boom. And, and that's really happening all over the U.S. Uh, right now in oil boom areas. There's just, it's just a tremendous opportunity. So um, we give all that information at Real Wealth Network and, and um, provide webinars every week featuring those different areas and you know, how to get started. So is, are, are there actual physical meetings of members of your network in, in particular cities where they're networking with each other? Yeah, absolutely. Our home base is in San Francisco, so we have meetings there. But we also have um, tours to all the different areas where, you know, where we believe it's a good time to buy and a good time to invest. So um, in two weeks, I'm going to be taking a group of investors to North Dakota. It's going to be really cold, but there's a huge opportunity there, um, both in residential and commercial real estate. And, um, and so, yes, we have, we have kind of events all over the country with those tours, but um, monthly events in San Francisco. You mentioned oil, but what are some areas around the country that have uh, very good opportunities for buying today for rental income? Well, here's, you know, here's really the opportunity I'm showing people today is that, um, you know, we, we've got several cycles happening. So there's seller's markets and there's buyer's markets. And, and in, in San Francisco and California, prices have increased so much, and I think in New York as well, and really a lot of places, um, that it really could be a good time to sell and exchange those properties tax-deferred to areas where it's a buyer's market. And people who are doing that are really cashing in and, and finding that they can retire today, not in 10 years. I, I helped somebody who in, um, inherited a house in San Francisco put it on the market. Um, it was a teardown, put it on the market for 800, uh, well, it was worth about 800000 She listed it for 1.3. She got a 1.5 all-cash offer, <laughs> close in 10 days. We were able to exchange that one dilapidated property for 20 cash flow properties all across the country. And now she, she earns $20,000 a month of passive income. And her life has changed. That <laughs> <laughs> would sound like a pretty good deal. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. She's pretty happy. Now, a lot of people don't particularly want to be landlords and have to chase after people for rent. What, what are some ways of uh, making this truly passive and not having to chase people for rent? 
Well, just like anything, you can be hands-on or you can be a business owner. And and if you can learn to be a business owner, then you learn to have other people do that for you. You've got to be good at delegating. So, again, one of the things that we help people with, you know, people are busy, is um, is to research the country and and find the best property managers who can help us, you know, who can take care of those properties. And they, they tend to charge about 8% of the collected rents. Um, so as long as those numbers still work and, and you can, you know, afford to pay that property manager out of the rent and it still cash flows, then it can be fantastic. So, um, so we, yeah, we, you just, you get it managed. I got to have good property management in place. Yeah. You begin your book by saying why real estate is the best investment and, and why is real estate the best investment now? <laughs> Well, it's, you know, there's a lot of good investments out there. It's certainly my favorite. Um, there's several reasons. Uh, one is you can leverage. You know, there's, there's not too many investments where you could put 20% down and borrow 80% and own the asset yourself and get all the tax benefits for that. And the tax benefits are insane. They're so good. And any appreciation that property experiences, you get, not, not the bank. So, um, so, you know, with your just 20% investment, you get all those benefits. And I've been showing people that, you know, you can get up to 10 loans if you, if you have, you know, low debt-to-income ratios and a, and a two-year job history. You'd be surprised that, you know, you can qualify up to 10 loans. And, and I'm showing people that if they, if they could buy five or six or even up to 10 income properties and take all of the cash flow from those properties to pay off one loan, you can have that loan paid off in two years and, and have the whole portfolio paid off in about 10 to 12 years. So I just don't know any other investment that will take you from a couple hundred thousand dollars to a million dollar portfolio in such a short amount of time. So the idea is you get a bunch of properties, you take all the rental income from all the properties and apply it to one to pay off the mortgage there, keep the costs going on the other ones, and then you pay them off eventually and then... Ten one years or so, what, you, you have them all paid off, and then they're all cash flowing with no mortgages. That's the That's idea. exactly the plan, and I've got so many people in their 50s who just realize they don't have what they need for, you know, say for their retirement, and they're on this 10-year plan, and uh, we, we have already got them paying off their first and second and third properties, and um, it's just really, really exciting. So, yes, the leverage, the tax benefits. Um, and the passive income, there's not, you know, not a lot of investments that you, you know, you invest in and you get that monthly income. It's usually just based on, um, you know, on price appreciation. And you better hope that when you need that money that the market's up, <laughs> right, in that scenario. So, um, so I just, yeah, the, the monthly income is something that we pay a lot of attention to. Now, if there's a hot market, I mean, San Francisco would be an example or other markets where the real estate market's really hot these days. Yeah. Is that still a good place to be buying rental income? It seems like you'd have to pay an awful lot um, yeah. for the property, and, and it wouldn't cash flow unless rents were extremely high. The time to buy in California is gone, in my opinion. Uh, 2008 to, to 2011, I would say, was just the first time that I know of that you could really get bargains, you could get cash flow. It was crazy. Um, but, you know, prices have, as you know, gone up dramatically. Um, and they've kind of peaked. We're past 2006 levels, and we know 2006 was a bubble. We know that salaries haven't increased. So why then should home prices be higher than bubble prices of 2006? It doesn't make sense. So um, to buy California property right now and, and other markets that had huge appreciation, we're going to see the market slow down. And, and that's because interest rates will go up. And high-priced markets, you know, it'll become not, not affordable anymore. And so 
you know, if you're going to, if you're not getting cash flow and you're not getting appreciation, what are you getting? You're getting possibly a negative cash flow situation. So I, I don't recommend it. I recommend selling California right now and exchanging for areas where it does make sense. Did you see the, the real estate crash coming when it was coming? Like in 2006, you thought it was going to be overheated and this was going to end badly? We absolutely saw it coming. I was in the mortgage industry at the time, and I, I just couldn't understand how I could give a perfect stranger a million-dollar loan or up to $5 million, an Anina loan, no income, no assets loan. I mean, who... Who sat in a boardroom and decided that was a good idea? You know, so we knew there was a problem. I would sit with borrowers and say, "You can't afford this payment when it adjusts," and they didn't care. They wanted the loans anyway. So, um, you know, we absolutely knew that affordability was way out of whack, and that other places like Texas had job growth and population growth, but their home prices were 26% undervalued. So, yeah, absolutely. In 2006, we told people sell in exchange for Texas property. And those who listened to me saved their nest eggs and quadrupled their monthly income. So, but you don't think another bubble is building now then? Oh, I absolutely do. But I, I think it's, um, you know, in, in parts of California, like I said, somebody bought that teardown for $1.5 million. It's not worth that right now. And, and whoever was crazy enough to buy it got caught up in the frenzy and, and paid too much. So, yes, there has been a bubble in parts of California, and, um, and I think people are going to feel it, and, and it's going to hurt. But it's not going to be anything like 2009. You know, it's not it's just going to slow down. You have a whole chapter in your book called Effective Real Estate Investing Strategies, starting with some short-term strategies. What would be one or two short-term strategies to uh, build a portfolio of rental real estate? Sure. I mean, there's some... Um, there's a uh, flipping of course is the is the main way people do that you buy a property you fix it up and you sell it for more um since i'm kind of a buy and hold investor and i think it's i don't really think you should ever sell your properties unless it's really inflated and you can make a bunch of money um but you know certainly those who bought properties in 2008 2009 made a quick return um and could potentially sell or refinance and take some cash out and buy more um so you know the old flip the fix and flip model is certainly one for quick cash, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, and you can lose money just as quickly as you can make it. So you got to be careful on that. So okay, so that's the flip. But how about a more longer term kind of strategy uh, that is, is not as labor intensive as the fix and flip uh, model for for quick equity growth? Um, yeah. You know, we're yeah, we really like right now the uh, linear, mar- uh, not the linear. Yes, they are linear, but um, the judicial states, the states where um, the foreclosures have to go through the court system in order to foreclose, and so there's a huge backlog in Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania. So those home prices have not gone up. So we think that um, we think that there's a really big chance of appreciation in those markets. Um, so we're, you know, we're showing investors how to buy. $50,000 homes that are really worth 120000 They really cash flow fantastic, and we think they're going to also double in value. So that's one way, and I think it'll just be a few years. Another way is that we, um, we do syndications where we bring a group of investors together. Each one puts in about $50,000, and we buy big deals. Um, we're buying uh, commercial land right now in North Dakota that uh, – it's, I can't even tell you the, the amount of quick profit in that deal. Um, all we have to do is, is get the utilities out and sell the, sell the pads, and um, they'll be, it'll be a quick land flip. So we're, we're really big into the, into the land flipping these days by just getting, getting the utilities in and, and, uh, 
infrastructure and selling to builders. Once you've got a hot market like that, that that's possible, yes. Yep. Very good. Right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest for this half hour is Kathy Fetke. She's the CEO and founder of the Real ne- Wealth Network. Her book is called Retire Rich with Rentals, How to Enjoy Ongoing Cash Flow from Real Estate So You Don't Have to Work Forever. You can find out more about that at her website, realwealthnetwork.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Kathy Fetke. She's the CEO and founder of the Real Wealth Network and also the author of a new book called Retire Rich with Rentals, How to Enjoy Ongoing Cash Flow from Real Estate So You Don't Have to Work Forever. Welcome back to the show, Kathy. Thank you. So you have a chapter about how much money you need. So what is the realistic amount that you need to get started in this whole business of buying rentals? Well, if you go with my um, million-dollar portfolio plan where, you know, I would want you to, to end up with, a, with 10 homes that are paid off and cash flowing, then, you know, it'd be about, about $200,000 because um, it's, you know, 20% down on those, on those investor loans. And, you know, in, in, in 12 years or less, you could have the, the other 800000 paid off from all the cash flow. So, um, so that's one way if you're going to do that plan. If you don't have that kind of money, then you start with one. And like I said, we, you know, there's still really good properties in these oil boom areas or just, you know, areas that are having 
like I said, um, still have a backlog of foreclosures, you can still buy properties for well under $100,000. And in that case, it would be anywhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000 down. Uh, so there's something for everyone. And then if you really don't have any money, <laughs> then um, there's something called the buy-refi model where you would borrow hard money. You pay a lot for it, but that would, uh, that would cover the whole cost. And then you fix the house up renovate it so that the property is worth more, and then you refinance at the higher value and you can pay off the hard money loan and own the property um, that way with almost no money in it. That It's kind of harder to do because you really have to find a property that you can increase the value, not from appreciation but from forced appreciation by fixing it. I just wanted to explain this foreclosure thing a little bit. So you're saying there are these various, what you call the judicial states, mm-hmm. where there are uh, houses that in other states would have been foreclosed upon, but they're kind of in limbo right now, and that's depressing house prices? Yeah, Yeah, there's trustee states and there's um, judicial states. And trustee states, are foreclosure process can happen in 45 days. I mean, it's very, very quick, and California is one of those states, surprisingly. Um, But uh, Florida is another example of a judicial state where every single foreclosure in that state has to go through a judge and they just don't have enough judges. So some properties have been sitting for five, six years just waiting to go through that system. So those homeowners have been either living there not making payments or that property is just sitting vacant. What it means to us as buyers and investors is that, you know, with a lot of distressed inventory on the market, prices just, you know, aren't going up, but they will uh, once all that inventory is worked through, and it, it'll probably take a few more years. So, um, so the, idea, again, now the idea is that you're buying them, not the properties that are still in foreclosure but haven't been processed yet, but yeah. other properties nearby are depressed in price because there are foreclosures or potential foreclosures nearby. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, because foreclosures, you know, they eventually do make it through the system, so there's, they're, 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 they haven't worked through all their foreclosures, so pr- that does keep prices down. When you have 30% of your inventory um, in distressed property, it, it keeps the values down. That's one of the reasons why places like California and, uh, and other trustee states, um, once they work through their foreclosures, and it's very, very low now, the amount of foreclosures, um, prices bounced way back up to, to market value because the distressed inventory was gone. Do you recommend people actually buy from foreclosure courts as they're coming out of the foreclosure? Is that a good time to buy? You know, it, it, it has been historically, but... Um, you know, we have a whole new buyer this time around, and it was New York. You know, it's the hedge fund. So, um, you know, they started going to the auctions and buying those properties, but overbidding and um, making it kind of tough for people like us individuals who don't want to pay too much for property. So, um, so it was it was kind of becoming not such a great deal. They were these hedge funds were paying what we would pay. Um, you know, what, what we think the property would be worth after renovation. They were paying that much just for the property. So we just, we just think they had the money maybe to sit around and wait for prices to go up. I don't know. But, um, but it, will come, it will come back. Once they move out of the market, it, it'll, it'll be good to do that. So is that the current state now that there's still a lot of investment money going in and buying foreclosures, or is that uh, slowed down a bit? It has slowed down a bit, um, especially in the markets where cash flow is not as good anymore. In any of the markets where prices have gone up significantly, hedge funds are out because they just can't make the, the numbers work anymore. Um, and, you know, a lot of those hedge funds have turned to lending. So you, you've got several of them, Carrington now and, um, uh, oh, I can't remember the other one, but they, you know, they've turned to, uh, to, pri- you know, to lending to investors, actually. I see. So that's about it. So it's, the market is stabilizing to some extent. 
Yes, it has. So it's, it, it, the number of investors is down to, I think, 20%, down from 30%. You have a chapter on finding the perfect investment property. What are some of the things you should look for when you're wanting to buy a rental real estate property? Well, you know, the number one thing that people do wrong um, is this: they don't understand that you need to buy near jobs. So that's first and foremost. Don't don't be too far. Like ten minutes from jobs is is what we prefer. And and then second would be stay out of high crime areas. That is just a huge mistake. I've seen people do over and over again. They see a good deal online. It looks like a cute house, or they go visit it. Sometimes they don't visit it. That's a big mistake. Um, and uh, if it's in a high crime area, that, that property is going to be nothing but a problem for you. So uh, really important. The third is we really like to be in areas with good schools because we want to run to families and we want those families to be happy and to like where they're living and, and to want to, you know, if, they, if their kids are in school, the likelihood of them staying in your property is much stronger because you don't really want to yank your kids out of school and move them. So, um, so those three things are, are some, and then of course, just the you don't want to overbuy for the neighborhood or over develop for the neighborhood. We you make sure you understand um, what people want and, and give them that. So you don't have to give granite countertops to an area where they're used to, you know, linoleum or something or whatever. They're, they're you, you just don't overspend and don't mm-hmm. buy the biggest house by, you know, stay within the average. You know, if you can find out what the average income is and the average home price is and don't go over that. How about commercial properties, apartment houses or shopping centers or stores, things like that? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's a, you know, you've got to find the best deal. There's a lot of dollars chasing it. And, and so, you know, just be very careful. What you see on paper is not usually what, <laughs> what you're really getting. You've got to, you've got to really know what you're doing when you get into that level. I always recommend starting with single-family homes if you're getting started because it's a lot easier. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're doing a huge – we're doing commercial land development all over the country, and, and investors are, are coming in on those projects, and the returns are phenomenal. Is, it, is dealing with a good broker uh, an important part of the process, particularly if you're not buying locally where you live? Oh, that is the reason I created Real Wealth Network. I just couldn't believe the amount of licensed brokers ripping people off. And I, hey, listen, I, I'm not trying to put anybody down, but, uh, you know, I had a client call me and say, hey, I heard you're in Cleveland. Can you go look at this property? Um, it's an apartment. And, um, and he said it's close to a university and it's all leased out. I said, sure, I'll drive by. Let me tell you, well, I was not welcome in that neighborhood because of the color of my skin. They were throwing rocks at our van. We were so scared. We drove by the building anyway, and all we saw was shattered glass, and um, it was not anywhere near a university. There was a university, but it was on the other side of the tracks, and believe me, no students would dare live in this area. And um, all we saw was vacancy signs all down the street. So we called um, the number and found out that uh, the broker had just completely lied. So, yes, don't trust I mean, trust but verify, okay? Don't just believe what somebody tells you. And if a broker says something, you've got to back it up. You've got to back it up. So, yes, we created a network of brokers across the country that we do trust and do take care of our members. And let me tell you, if one of them doesn't, they're off the list. I see. Very good. Well, thanks so much. (laughs) My guest has been Kathy Fetke. Uh, She's the CEO and founder of the Real Wealth Network. Uh, Her new book is called Retire Rich with Rentals. How to Enjoy Ongoing Cash Flow from Real Estate So You Don't Have to Work Forever. Uh, and I guess people can find out more about you at your website, realwealthnetwork.com. Thanks so much Perfect. for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Kathy. Thank you so much.
Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.